2: Hello and welcome to Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks as always for hitting play. Now, I was asked recently if I was still updating the artist's choice playlist and asking my guests what their favourite songs were, which kind of reminded me and prompted me that I haven't put out an update lately. Checking the releases made me realize that the last one was six months ago. It was November. So today's episode will bring you a lot of my recent big name guests. But I also like to bring you something additional, too. So I've delved into my archive and I found an interview I did way back in 2009 with Kit Clark from the band Danny Wilson, best known, of course, for this worldwide smash hit. Mary's Prayer reached number three in the UK, 13 in Canada, and 23 in the US. Interesting little quirk there with all the threes, three, 13, and 23, especially as there were three members in the band, Kit Clark, his brother, Gary Clark, and Jed Grimes. But that interview with Kit is to come a bit later. First, an update on the plans for a new On This Day in Rock episode. Now, I asked you for your feedback on these ideas to release a short daily podcast from Vintage Rock Pod called On This Day in Rock, and I was delighted with the response. So thank you if you took the time to answer the survey. Now, the results were certainly conclusive. 68% said they would probably listen to a daily episode, and a further 26% said they would listen to at least least a few a week. So a whopping 94% would be interested in this idea. So it's going to happen. From Tuesday, May 3rd, a new daily episode will be released. It's going to be nice and short, just kind of three minutes, five minutes maximum sort of thing. That's the plan anyway. And it's going to focus on one event from that day in the history of rock. Now, the idea is that it's something short that you can easily fit into your day, that you can listen to while, I don't know, making your morning coffee or when you brush your teeth or if you're out on a cheeky cigarette break at work. It's really quick. It's going to be interesting content and it'll be just for you. I'm going to have, guest contributions on there as well. So it's going to be fun. It's not just going to be me talking. And if you don't listen to them on that day that they get released, it won't matter as the content is evergreen. So you can catch up with them all in one go in less than 30 minutes once a week if that's your style. Now, they will come out, as I said, daily with the exception of the days that the big interview shows are released, which, as you know, is usually on a Monday. So I'm going to launch this on Tuesday, May the 3rd, and I'm going to give it a couple of months to try it to see how it goes. I'm confident it will be a nice addition to the big interviews, some nice short form classic rock content just for you. But as always, I'd love to hear your feedback on how it's going. So please do let me know once I release it. Also, if you haven't already, please do sign up to become a VRP VIP. Just go to the Vintage Rock Pod website, which is funnily enough, VintageRockPod.com and you can fill in the form on the first page. You'll get an email from me no more than once a week newsletter, usually detailing that week's show and uh, other interesting things from the world of Vintage RockPod, but it also gives you an insight into future guests first. Now, last week's newsletter informed of three new guests coming your way and gave the VRP VIPs a chance to ask questions or email their questions so I can put them to the guests. Now, if you'd like to ask... Ask these stars something and be in the know first, then sign up now. It's completely free. I won't spam you, as I say, at the very most, once a week. And I'll never sell on your information to anyone else. Just visit the website, VintageRockPod.com, and fill in the form on that first page. Right, back to this week's show then. Now, if this is the first you've heard of Artist's Choice, then basically it's a Spotify playlist of songs that I've created made up of songs chosen by the big-name guests themselves. I ask them to nominate one song from their own back catalogue to go on to this list and give me a reason why they've chosen that one. Now, you can find this playlist on Spotify by searching for Vintage Rock Pod Artist's Choice. Give it a follow, show it some love. Already on there are songs from the likes of Dire Straits and Credence Clearwater Revival rainbow jefferson airplane suzy quattro toto uriah Heep, scorpions and many many more so let's find out who's joining them and we'll start with my most recent guest jackie fox of the runaways now of course one of the first and most influential all-girl rock bands of all time also made up of course by sherry curry uh, lita ford sandy west and joan jett so let's find out what runaway song jackie is going to add to the playlist
1: Um, I think I'm going to pick Hollywood, which is, I think, one of our sort of underappreciated gems. It came about Lita and I were the ones who were there. So we set up microphones on the street and Lita and I were just talking to people who were passing by. And at one point, um, one of our road crew walked by and we were pretending he was a guy that was hitting on us. And it was just this stupid, like us rapping to this track. that was really dumb. But then Joan showed up, and we all ended up rewriting the song for Joan to sing in a, the style of Susie Quattro, she adored. Um, and it's just a great song. And there is this, the whole rap Lita and I did is gone. But left over at the very beginning of that song is me yelling, Hey, Foxy, come here. and uh, I ended up using Foxy Camere as my Instagram handle. But anyway, Hollywood (laughs) is a very fun song. It's got a great vocal by Joan. It's got harmonies that Joan and I are doing and it's just a really fun song and it's it's about my home. So there you go.
2: So where did the Hey Foxy Camere thing come from then? Why why, why did you do that on the track?
1: I don't know. It was just (laughs) like there were people on the street and nobody right near us and I just thought I would yell out to them. So I just yelled, hey, Foxy, come here. And it became kind of a thing.
2: Hollywood is in, and if you haven't listened to that interview with Jackie yet, then you really have to. It's an incredible story that she tells. Now, let's go for a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. Back in November, I interviewed John Lodge from the Moody Blues. Let's see which song he picks. One more time to live.
3: It's uh, in-depth, Moody Blues, you know, deep cut, uh, I would say, it's just uh, I'm I've rehearsed it up for the new tour, and uh, anybody's really interested, uh, listen to the lyrics. I can, you know, it's quite interesting that this song was written like oh, 45 years ago, or whatever. And uh, one more time to live, it's uh, a deep cut from the new blues. <laughs>
2: One more time to live is John's choice. He was on episode 46. If you want to relive the wonderful story behind the classic Knights in White Satin, touring America and playing with Justin Hayward and being inducted into the Hall of Fame, then check out that episode. Speaking of Hall of Fame, next up is a man who played in the same band as, get this, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page. I'm talking about the wonderful Jim McCarty of The Yardbirds, a legend and another Rock and Roll Hall of Famer who I spoke to. Now let's hear what he chose. I'd say Shapes
3: of Things was uh, my favourite one because that was um, recorded uh, a very nice time for the band. We'd had a few hits already and we recorded in Chess Studios. It was a dream. You know, it's a blues, the old blues studio in Chicago. We all put in you know, our, our creative input into it. So it, it was part of the whole band and uh, you know, I'm, very, I'm very proud of that one.
2: Shapes of Things is in from the Yardbirds. Now, a recent guest on the show was Prescott Niles from The Knack. Of course, their world-famous song is huge, but will he choose it for the playlist? Well, I guess my Sharona would work, wouldn't it? It would, if you're happy to put that on, yeah? Well, because, I mean, obviously it was my introduction to the world, and people, I still hear it wherever I
4: go, in a supermarket... <laughs> <laughs> you know, think Trader Joe.
2: When you hear it, when you don't expect to hear it, it just shakes you up a bit. You know. <laughs> A no-brainer, really. My Sharona was such a massive hit, wasn't it? Biggest selling song of 1979 in America, in fact. And that interview with Prescott is another cracker. Very open, very honest about everything. The crazy success the band got and what went wrong. You can catch all that on episode 55. Moving to episode 59 now, and a man who first joined the Straubs 50 years ago and still going with them now is Chaz Kronk. Let's hear what he goes for.
3: Well, I'm proud of pleased with you know a lot of output over the years i mean i, I guess it's most likely to go back to a straws i'd say um, midnight sun from um the hero and heron album um yeah simply because it well not simply um a it was a, a nice little piece and the way it happened was nice it was the last bit to be recorded for for the hero and heron album it, it came about because we were almost at the end of the recording process and we're thinking it's the album is missing just one thing and they were saying we need something kind of mellowish and reflective, thoughtful. And I played him the music to it that I had in the acoustic guitar. And he just, as he does in a brilliant way, just went off and ran with it. And we had lyrics before you knew it sort of thing. And and he was singing it and it went down. So I think it holds a special little place for me in the sense that uh, it was the first song, well, it was co-written with Dave, but, you know, it was the first song that I was involved with that appeared on a kind of big label. <laughs> so, yeah, Midnight Sun. Is there is the death after life
2: Midnight night, is added too. Now, let's hear from former Black Sabbath lead singer Tony Martin. He was the second longest-serving lead singer of Black Sabbath, after Ozzy Osbourne, of course. When you think of the likes of Ian Gillen and Ronnie James Dio that sang vocals, then Tony is certainly up there with great company. Now, he told me some incredible stories from his time in the group, with Tony Iommi and many other things, including seeing a granny knitting in the front row of a Sabbath gig, working with Eddie Van Halen, and why, despite releasing five albums with the band, writing many of the songs, he doesn't receive a penny in royalties from it. You have to check out episode 54 for all those great stories. Anyway, let's find out what song Tony Martin picks. I think uh, recently, well, last year, um, I
3: did a thing with a a band called uh, Secret Society, and it was like a goth-type sound. If you can find that, that is i'll mention that i'll give them a mention i've worked with so many people i mean i'm on 75 or 76 albums and projects now mm. <clears throat> so it is hard to sort of pick one that yeah. but that one in the recent years has been one that sort of stood out amongst the others so i, sh- I shall um, i shall mention them i think secret Society.
2: interesting choice there from tony the song is darkest hour which he actually forgot to mention but clarified to me afterwards if you've not heard it then get on to vintage rock pod artist choice playlist on spotify to hear it Still a few more to do. So let's hear now from Ellen Foley. Now, she was the female singer on Meatloaf's Paradise by the Dashboard Light. And she also sang with The Clash on Hitsville, UK and worked with Blue Oyster Cult and many others, too. Now, I spoke to her at the start of 2022. So let's hear which song she's going to pick.
1: Okay, then I'm just happy to be here with Carla, the duet, because you and I just talked about what a great rock and roll song it is and how fun it is and how great we both sound and how it's historically, you know, important to me and to her. And uh, mainly it's just a great song and fun, just fun and wonderful. And Paul Faglino wrote a great song. I'm so glad I'm going to stick around somehow.
2: I'm just happy to be here is in now a couple more left to hear from so let's play one short and clear one shall we uh, hawkwind are a legendary group prog space rock hard rock however you want to label them and i spoke to their lead guy dave brock on episode 47 silver machine of course is a classic a rock classic and was sung by their band member at the time lemmy kilmister who Would later go on to form Motorhead, of course. So let's hear from Hawkins' frontman, leader Dave Brock, with this short message.
3: You know, it was a good song. With everything, how bad the world
2: is. We took the wrong step years ago. We Took the Wrong Step years ago is in. Let's now go back to the 60s, shall we, with legendary group The Trogs. So many big hits to choose from. Will founding member Pete Staples go for the obvious one?
3: It's, it's, got, it's got to be wild thing because it's made us so much money, really.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd have to say wild thing because it, it, it's sort of, as we said, so many people have done it Um encouraged so many people to, to, to play the guitar because you only need three
3: chords so uh, from that point of view and also the money we get from it, um, <laughs> it more more in advertising than anything these days but um, I would have to go with Wildball. Wild Thing You make my heart sing.
2: Of course, Wild Thing is in. It's an absolute classic, isn't it? Now, if you love all things 60s, then check out his interview, where he says the band members all had daytime jobs when Wild Thing was released, climbing the charts rapidly. He was an electrician in some lady's house when he heard the song on the radio and decided that was enough on episode 57 for all those stories from the 60s. Next up, let's hear from the lead singer of Brilliant 60s Group from America. Their reimagining of songs brought them fame, most notably their version of You Keep Me Hanging On. Yes, of course, I'm talking about Vanilla Fudge. Now, lead singer Mark Stein talked to me on episode 52, so let's hear which song he goes for.
1: Well, you know
0: what? Play Save Me by Dave Mason. Because you'll hear Dave Mason, obviously. You'll hear Michael Jackson and you'll hear Mark Stein, the three vocalists. You'll hear Mahaman funking out on there and uh, play Save Me. That's a song that a lot of uh, probably 99.9% of humanity never heard. So get it out there for us, okay?
2: Fantastic choice there from Mark, Save Me, which appears on a Dave Mason album. Mark, of course, worked with Dave for many years. And in the full interview, he tells the full story behind that song, how he managed to get Michael Jackson to come in and sing that song with him. It's definitely worth checking out, as well as for other stories from the Vanilla Fudge days and about his friendship with Jimi Hendrix. Yes, check out episode 52 for that one. And to the last one then, Cheeky Geordie, Ray Laidlaw from Lindisfarne. They had the biggest selling UK album of 1972 with Fog on the Tyne. Now I spoke to him on episode 53, so let's hear what song he goes for.
3: Can we have a song called Miracles? I think that was from an album, The News. I think it was on an album called The News. Um, It's one of Alan's gentler songs, and it's one of those songs where he quotes himself in a couple of lines, you know, goes back into other songs quite clever it's gentle it's about um, it's about it's a love song basically I really enjoy the tune and I, I haven't heard it for a long time so I've been yeah have miracles.
2: Miracles is the latest track to go onto the playlist then. Check it out on Spotify. Search for Vintage Rock Pod, artist's choice. Right, as promised at the start, let's hear an archive interview now, this time with Kit Clark from Scottish band Danny Wilson. Their big hit in the late 80s, Mary's Prayer, made them a household name. So let's start with that song. How did you feel when it was a success in the US before the UK? Because you did release it in the UK first, didn't you? But it didn't really make much headway.
4: Yeah, it did nothing here at first, and uh, then we started to get feedback from the states to say that it was uh, going up the charts, and it was all expressions we'd never heard before, like it's seventeen with a bullet," and you know, I just feel like what does that mean? You know, <laughs> so we were quite isolated from it and had no idea until uh, uh, we went out to uh, to open. Uh, a a tour for Simply Red out there and then suddenly there was just all these people who knew the the record really, really well and, you know, we'd never been to the States before so it was just a complete kind of culture shock to us to, to go somewhere and people knowing our song and who we were and stuff, it was amazing
2: So, how did it kind of catch on in the UK? Did did that push the record company to to push it a little bit more?
4: Yep. Uh, Actually, I think it was possibly, it was either its third or fourth release. Um, They'd pushed it again, Mm. and and it still didn't really do anything. It was getting lots of radio play, and uh, not selling, basically. And then uh, it kind of, eight months or so later, started to get lots and lots of radio play again, even though it was, you know, it was an old record by now. And uh, a couple of DJs started saying, This record should be released again, so Virgin kind of went okay, and then that time it just went straight in at number two. You know,
2: massive single it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, what's the song about? I've heard a couple of rumours, including theories about it being a religious song, or it's about a woman who's looking up to a singer of a band, that kind of thing. Is there is there a reasoning behind the song? Is there a proper story behind it?
4: It's kind of basic. It's just it's just kind of harking back to a a lost love that uh, you treated badly at the time when when things were well, and and now you can't be there and it just kind of uses a lot of that uh, religious imagery just because uh, at that time we were again toying with some of the imagery and that because we we just because we'd grown up with it you know like in a catholic school you get all these sort of things and it was just like some of these words are really nice some of these phrases are really nice so just uh, used them basically as kind of an allegorical thing for what the song was about.
2: And what's the story behind the video then? Because uh, there's so much going on in the video, isn't there?
4: You know what? <laughs> I don't have a clue what's going on in the video. <laughs> I was
2: expecting you to say that, actually.
4: <laughs> it was our uh, first ever video. When it, when it came to the uh, the second album and stuff, we had much more fun with videos, uh, you know, because we were allowed to be involved in them and we knew what was going on. But when it's the first one, you're just kind of in awe. And it was... Um, Sue Huntley and Donna Muir a couple of designers and artists who were doing really well at the time You may, uh, they did a video for Dire Straits and one for Sting as well it was similar sort of things you know, cartoony sort of yeah, yeah and uh, they were kind of Virgin's favourites at the time, and they, they, they storyboarded it, and that, that one had nothing to do with us, and I don't have a clue what was going on in it.
2: <laughs> Good stuff. This is it, my first
4: me. honest comment on that. It took me 20 years to get it out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Good stuff. Well, moving on, Hot on the Heels of uh, Meet Danny Wilson and Mary's Prayer, you were back in the studio pretty soon after that, weren't you? Uh, yep. Putting together the uh, bebop mop top kind of thing.
4: Well, because it had taken so long for Mary's Prayer to break, I, I, I think that we were we'd all really demoed a lot of the second album and uh, we decided that we wanted to go back and work in uh, Dundee um, just sometimes it's the more difficult thing to do is to you know to go back to where you've sort of grew up I, I trained in a studio up here as an engineer when I first left school in fact when I was still at school and uh so we decided to to start the album up here. Just again, technology was kind of changing a bit, and we were able to like get a couple of machines and hook them together and just do a lot of overdubbing ourselves. And then we met this fantastic, wonderful uh, little French guy called Fred Defay, who'd been working with the Eurythmics, and uh, decided we would go uh, to work with him. And we we got together and. Uh, the townhouse. No, we went somewhere else. We went to the manor in Oxfordshire. Locked ourselves away again, and just, again, just the same thing. Just got torn locked away from everything, and just made records because that's all we ever wanted to do, you know.
2: And from that album came the, your next big single, the the second summer of love.
4: Yep. Acid on the
3: radio, acid
4: on the
2: Quite a departure, wasn't it, from the sound that people got used to of Mary's Prayer? Um, maybe raw sounding as opposed to the polished kind of sound. Is that, is that a purpose uh, decision? Uh, in, in a
4: way, yes, but we just had so much fun making that record. We, d- we demoed it on a porter studio, and uh, we didn't want to use lose the freshness of the, the, the kind of first day that we'd recorded it, so um, we waited until it was, uh, it was Gary's birthday, and we filled the studio with like balloons and streamers and everything before he got in. And then when he came in, we just got tore straight in it, and all had just like a big party making the record, and tried to keep it just as real to what was going on in the studio, kind of partly fun time as possible, and not not get all polished off on it. Yeah,
2: there's a, a great tune, some great songs on that album as well, isn't there? Never going to be the same. It's one of my favourites, uh, ballad of me and Shelly McLean as well. It's another good tune. That's
4: great. I haven't heard it for so long. I've got one of these. someone was asking me the other night uh, um, about some of these records and uh, I suddenly realised that I don't even know if I have them all anymore because, (laughs) you know, at the time when you're still with the record company and the band, you're constantly getting asked to kind of give things away Mm. to people for charities and stuff and you just give it all away and then you suddenly go, hang on, I don't have any copies of that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So you then have to go to the second hand record shop to buy
2: your own, own record oh, you know?
4: and you're kind of cheesed off if it's in the bargain bin but you're also <laughs> you're half chuffed because you don't have to pay so much for it you know
2: what I mean? <laughs> good stuff but that was the last album you recorded together as a band wasn't it um...
4: yeah we did a couple of sessions after that when we put together um, a compilation album just uh, at the time that we were splitting up uh, and we went out uh, to Bath and we recorded another three songs or something just as special tracks to go in the end of that um, which was called Sweet Danny Wilson was mm-hmm. the name of that it was originally a kind of double album of b-sides and uh, singles and these three extra tracks
2: so what was the reason behind the split was it people pointing different directions wanting to do different things uh quite frankly it
4: was we'd uh we were supposed to have like a, a huge tour ahead of us and we felt that touring was very important uh, uh, you know how touring has become really really important again now mm-hmm. uh, and it's a way of kind of being in touch with your audience uh we thought that was very important as well and for people to see the diversity of kind of what we did the stage thing was uh It was quite crazy because we had a huge kind of mixture of bizarre instruments, from pedal steels to tubas and accordions, and then all the kind of pop stuff as well. And uh, we got all that together, and we're just uh, we we did the the first leg of the tour. We were just about to go out to Europe, then then the States again, then Australia. And uh, the record company decided they wanted to pull the touring and just do a couple of like major TV shows instead, because a TV show reaches more people than you would reach on a tour. And then this, the the kind of this, the music was becoming less and less important in terms of the industry side of what was happening with the record company, and uh, we all just really felt that you know this is not what we got in it for. We got in it for the music not to be a commodity, you know. And uh, so we kind of discussed what we wanted to do about that, and the best way of dealing with it we felt at the time was to just go our separate ways. And, uh, and you know we we'll, we we'll all continued to work together, but we just headed off in different directions which kind of freed people up to do like more what they wanted to do within the structure of the industry deals that you could do like I went completely independent Gary went with a smaller version of Virgin Jed started doing music for, uh, for video games and
2: mm-hmm. stuff you know Kit Clark there, that interview from my archives way back in 2009. Thanks very much for listening to today's show. I'm going to get working on the next episode now, featuring an interview with a lead singer of a group who had a big top 10 hit in America in 1983, but that's for episode 61. If you haven't already, please do check out Vintage Rock Pod on the social media channels, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, that kind of thing. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod. Remember as well to click like or comment on the posts to make sure you don't miss any because the algorithm stops showing you things from groups that you don't interact with also check out some of the other podcasts as well on the Pantheon Podcast Network loads of music shows on there for you to enjoy Vintage Rock Pod is proudly part of the Pantheon Podcast Network so please do have a look at them until episode 61 then remember if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of classic rock just tell them my music is better than yours take care